Welcome to another episode of the Soulmate Seasons. I'm your host, Adam Krieger. Today I want to talk about what it means to live in America as a creative person. When Steve Jobs traveled to India about six months before founding Apple Computer, he came to a very profound realization. There are two types of intelligence, he recalled when speaking to his biographer, Walter Isaacson. In the West, we tend to develop learned intellectual intelligence, memorizing facts, creating theories, integrating the knowledge of times past with inventions and ideas of the present moment, creating a narrative based in learning. In the East, when Jobs traveled to India, he realized that they had made a practice of developing a different kind of intelligence, intuition, intelligence that comes from within, tuning into the quiet voice inside of us. And throughout Jobs' career, his ability to tune in to what was going on inside of his creative mind to imagine things, to think for himself, proved pivotal in his career. So this idea that there are two types of intelligences and that we can call upon either one of them to inform our decision-making, our inventiveness, the things that we create and give to the world is very important. And another thing that I want us to keep in mind is that America, for a creative person, can at times seem overwhelming, and we might not understand why. So I want to just go back on a journey through some American history informed by a book that I've been reading by former Treasury Secretary Alan Greenspan called Capitalism in America. So in the book, released in October 2018, Greenspan talks about what makes America different than all of the other societies that came before it. And one of the most important demarcation points for America that differentiates it from the societies that came before it was that in a very real sense America itself was founded as a business meaning that the people that came from Europe to settle America oftentimes were operating on the basis of a corporate charter from the king or from some form of nobility who said, I give you permission to go to America to set up a government or a business structure over there and you can lord over that land and in return for my support, you send me back some things, some money, some goods, information. And so in that sense, the people that left the old world to come to America, 
we're setting up businesses. Now, an important part of this entire system that we came to call America is that the nobility who was overseeing the colonial operation was far away, separated by a very, very great expanse of ocean called the Atlantic, so that the operators who were now working in America, running businesses and governments in America, were largely unfettered by interference from royal hierarchies. And people couldn't tell them, do this, do that. I want X, Y, and Z in specific. It was more, go over there, send me back some money, some spices, some information, some livestock, some goods, whatever it is, you know, do your thing and send it back. Because it was hard at that time to travel to America to scout out and to essentially spy on and regulate the burgeoning country. So this freedom that the entrepreneurial settlers in America had enabled them to really act independently. And that independence led to independent government and independent business strategy. And these are the ideas that uh, led to the founding of the American Republic because by the time that England, the mother country, said that, hey, I want to get more out of this. I want to tax you guys more heavily. I want to see more results from your businesses. The American entrepreneurs were already so used to freedom. And to tie this back into our original opening uh, gambit in this podcast, part of that freedom was tuning into their own intuition, being able to really think for themselves. So the American settlers were both tuned in to themselves and they were also uh, studying history. You know, the founding fathers were really, really, really uh, students of history. So you were having the ability to think for oneself to tune into one's intuition, and they were amalgamating uh, great works of philosophy from, from Thomas Locke or from Adam Smith. Adam Smith penned The Wealth of Nations in 1776. So it's no coincidence that American independence uh, as a country uh, coincided with these ideas of entrepreneurial capitalistic independence. And you know, the, the idea that Americans could operate in freedom, you know, continues to inform our society to, to this very day. Something very important to keep in mind when considering what it means to exist and live in America as a creative person, as an entrepreneur, as an artist, as part of 
either an industrialist or a member of the creative class or a member of the media, a writer, whatever it is that you're creating, is that we enjoy a unique creative spirit as Americans. And I want to go back and unpack where, where some of this comes from. So at the time that America was founded, you had a continent that was inhabited by uh, the Native Americans, but was much, much, much less dense than European culture and European uh, cities, countries, nations, because the amount of people that lived in Europe on a per square foot basis was much greater than the amount of people that inhabited this vast American continent on a per square foot basis. So whereas cities in England um, or France were filled with people and had, you know, vibrant streetscapes and, you know, kind of apartments and homes next to each other, you could walk to your neighbor and, and you had gathering places and whatnot. When you came to America for about a hundred years, only the, the original uh, east coast of America was settled. It wasn't until after the uh, expeditions of Lewis and Clark uh, in the in the 1800s to the West Coast and the Louisiana Purchase, uh, in which uh, Jefferson purchased from the King of France uh, the Louisiana territories, uh, doubling the size of America, that Americans began to expand west. Um, so for a long time, Americans were busy filling up just the East Coast, and eventually they were able to expand west. But keep in mind that when they were expanding west, they were expanding into unchartered territory, literally unchartered territory. So there were no governing restrictions. There was nobody telling you, do this, do that. It was basically, hey, if you have the courage to leave your home and go west, do it. And again, send, send me back something or make some sort of agreement. There were various forms of agreements that the settlers had to make with you know, the powers that be, but they were very loose and they were very um, freedom oriented. So the same spirit in which people left Europe to come to America and were largely unregulated, the people that were in America that were expanding west were also expanding in largely unregulated um, territory, which it freed them up to create systems of businesses, to create business ideas in ways that um, really uh, were revolutionary at the time, just as revolutionary as the uh, American political revolution. In, in Europe, uh, crafts, whether it was furniture making or farming, were controlled by guilds. And the guilds were systems of, you know, master craftsmen who would train people under them, right? So these, these guilds had a lot of political and economic power, and they could crush new competition. They could uh, impose regulations and systems and, and taxes, uh, whether those taxes were financial or, or mental, upon the people under them. And of course, one of the things that we see throughout you know, economic history is that the, the people in charge, the groups in charge, want to maintain their hegemony. They want to maintain their power, their economic advantage. So in Europe, when you, where you have you know, much smaller amounts of territory, much more densely populated, ruled by established guilds with great financial and intellectual uh, resources, 
they're crushing all the new upstarts. Now you come to America, those guilds are thousands of miles away, and they don't have reach to crush the new American upstarts, right? Neither the, the political powers want to come over and police or have the resources to come over and police you know, the, the uh, colonies in America, the entrepreneurs in America, and the guilds are far away. So the people that are forming their businesses and setting up shop in America are really free to uh, invent, to create systems to their heart's content. And they're doing so literally uh, to their heart's content in terms of following their heart and in terms of following their mind. So when they're on a new continent, uh, they have vast uh, intellectual and political and uh, economic freedom to invent. And necessity is the mother of all invention. So at the same time that they have freedom to invent, they have to invent. They don't have uh, you know, the benefit of, of working with the established systems. They have to invent on their own. They have to make it work. If they don't make it work for themselves, they might as well pack up and head back to where they came from in the old country, or they're going to starve and not be able to provide for themselves and their family. And one of the most amazing things that you can add to this combination that is the unique uh, American uh, recipe for success is the vast amounts of natural resources, whether that was timber or land or um, later uh, when oil was discovered in America. You know, you have all these resources you know, fertile soil in the Mississippi Delta, um, land that could be used for uh, farming or uh, uh, setting up factories, land that had yet to be explored in California that led to the gold rush, all these resources that were available to this newly freed people led to this establishment of this unique economic engine rooted in creative freedom, freedom of thought, uh, freedom of expression, and the original Americans really set about making the most of this out of necessity and because, let's face it, the people who were willing in the first place to leave behind the old system had a little bit of an adventure in their blood. It was, it was built into them to be uh, you know, ingenious, to, to think for themselves, to create for themselves, and once they got here, they had no choice. And they really took advantage of vast amounts of land, of timber, of natural resources. And they set up new systems that were largely unencumbered by um, the old guilds. And they really went about uh, creating for themselves industry on a scale that the world had never seen before. You know, you know capitalism, of course, existed um, before America, you know, Adam Smith was writing uh, in Europe before the American Revolution, and, and he was obviously informed by the ideas of other great thinkers. But America, because of the unique political uh, and economic system, was really, really, really uh, a wonderful place where all of these things could come together and because America was so big 
And because people could think for themselves and they had to find a way to basically supply a whole gigantic continent with goods, the nature of these goods changed. So one of the things that's always impacted me as a, as a creative individual is this idea of self-expression. I've always thought that a, a turn of phrase that I heard many years ago was, was very interesting. And the idea was that you go shopping to express yourself through mass-produced goods. So let me explain what this means. A lot of people, you know, say I express myself through fashion, through what I wear, through my, my phone, through my choice of car. But if you think about it, it's pretty funny, right? Because the goods that you're buying are also being bought by thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of other people. I mean, how many people shop at H&M and feel so unique when they put on that outfit? At the same time, there are lots of other people that are buying those same mass-produced goods or that, you know, you drive a, a Mercedes and you feel special. It's a wonderful car. I, I love Mercedes. Um, I happen to drive one myself. Um, but I, I recognize that the amount that I can feel uh, pride in in expressing myself through a mass-produced good is necessarily limited by the fact that it is a mass-produced good. So where did this come from? right? How did we get to a point of mass-produced goods? And what does it mean to live in a world of mass-produced goods? The, the truth is that this idea of mass-produced goods is uniquely American, meaning it started in the unique cauldron of the American uh, pot of creativity. The American soup gave birth to this unique system of mass-produced goods. It has a lot of advantages and it has a lot of disadvantages. So let's go back and unpack how we got here. We got here because in Europe, uh, when the guilds started to think about producing on a larger scale than they had been producing, they really focused on systematizing human labor, right? How do you make uh, it more efficient to produce, you know, uh, let's say a thousand belts at a time by systematizing human labor? And when the Americans, uh, said about trying to produce for more and more people, they were taking advantage of uh, machine labor. They were saying, we don't want to have a system based in human craftsmanship. We want to take it one step further and we want to base it in machines overseen by humans. So you had, um, to make the system in such a way that you could have modular uh, parts put together um, on an assembly line, kind of overrun, overseen by humans, um, but you didn't need the humans to be the essential force in that equation. And that led to having to de-individualize the production process. So, whereas in, in 
Europe in the, in the old guild system before the factory system came about in, in the American experiment, you had still the human touch. You could still really put, you know, point of human pride into the products, right? Um, and, you know, of course, the further back you go in history, the more kind of a hand craftiness you see in products. And these are people still cognizant that their work is going to be used by someone else. So they took extra time to put, you know, maybe a special carving or a special flourish or a special kind of uh, flair on the, on the wood carving or the calligraphy or whatever it is, you know, that uniquely individual touch was one human creating something for another. By the time you got to America and you had um, advances in, in science um, all the way up to the steam engine, which allowed for um, mass-produced assembly lines and mass-produced goods to kind of happen, you had to make the production process be so streamlined that you didn't have time um, to create um, as many unique touches to the products. It was less efficient. If you could, for example, um, make a product with fewer moving parts or fewer um, carvings into the piece of wood or metal, that made the production process that much faster. So the switch here is from beauty to utility. And that is how we get to American mass production. And that's why some of the things that we use today can feel sterile. And we've gotten to this unique and interesting place in history, I think largely spearheaded by uh, Steve Jobs and Apple, where they said, how can we bring back the artistic spirit to uh, the mass-produced process? So Apple, it, it was once uh, related to me. In Apple, when the designers came into the room, everyone got quiet. Whereas in Microsoft, when the engineers came into the room, everyone got quiet. At Apple, design was king. At other companies like Microsoft, engineering was king. So Apple is one of the first to bring back the idea that uh, creating and, and sharing goods is rooted in human, human ingenuity and human craftsmanship. And Apple, in a sense, represents a combination of the old and the new. The old being the human touch that we saw in, in craftsmanship societies and guilds in which the artistry of the product is important, how it makes the consumer feel, what we now call user experience of course, combined with mass production techniques that allow for millions and millions and millions of iPhones and MacBooks to be sold and consumed every year. So Apple is old artistry combined with mass production. And I think that's largely uh, gone unexplored today is tracing the history of where artistry got lost in the American system for better and for worse and how it was brought back in this 
uh, unique uh, kind of uh, circle of events. And, uh, interestingly enough, we're seeing Apple once again uh, change uh, the world with Apple News. Apple News is unique. Uh, New York Times was reporting this week on uh, what makes Apple News different than Google News. Apple is relying on human curation for their news, whereas Google News and a lot of the other uh, news services, Facebook News, rely on algorithms to curate the news. And Apple, once again, is saying we want to mass uh, disseminate our product, the news, but we want it to have a human touch. Very unique. Um, very nice uh, juxtaposition of old and new. Um, it's really, really, really interesting to see how, um, once again, Apple is, is taking modern production processes and uh, re-imbuing them with the human element. So I hope that uh, this discussion of what it means to be an entrepreneur, a creative person, uh, a soul seeker in America today, uh, has provided some context for why at times you might find that the products that you use are once so special and so sterile, and how certain companies uh, are bringing back the old craftsmanship to the mass-produced process. And as you go about creating your own products, I think it's really interesting to appreciate what it means to be uh, an inventor, an entrepreneur, a strategist, a business person in America, and how this American system is unique and special and rooted in an amazing, amazing, amazing uh, a semblance of events that occurred around uh, 1776 and how our unique history, uh, both political, uh, resource-wise, in terms of land, in terms of freedom, in terms of lack of oversight, um, has led to you and I being able to really create on a scale that is unmatched in human history. That does it for this episode of Soulmate Seasons. Join us next time as we continue to explore what it means to be a creative, to be a business person, to be an entrepreneur, to find your soul, to share that soul with your soulmate, and to uniquely contribute to this beautiful world. I'm Adam Krieger. It's been wonderful spending this time with you. Look forward to seeing you again soon.